Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Content Clearinghouse. I'm Brett Chisholm. And I am Josh Evans. And on today's episode, we go hunting for some big, hairy things. It's not what you think, guys. Uh, We just want to take a few pictures. And speaking of pictures, Josh gives me some modeling advice. Why is he talking about modeling? And why did we only title the show with an acronym? Well, we wanted to make sure that we had you on the hook before we reveal Josh's iconoclastic choice for content, America's Next Top Model. Josh is a real content maven. Seriously, the show actually sounds amazing. Movies, shows, and video games, podcast books, and their acclaims. Let their favorite content become yours. It's the Content Clearing House. Content Clearing House. And it starts right now. <laughs> sound check, sound check. <laughs> Brett, how are you? Dude, I'm doing awesome now that I'm seeing you on Zoom instead of Skype. So much better. Hopefully my computer won't crash today. I think it's been Skype that's been taking me down in the middle of our recordings lately. I, I'm pretty sure Skype is like the Hulu of uh, video conferencing services. Like one of the originals, but yeah, not Yeah, we may have good. just revealed way too much. <laughs> yeah, people are going to think they're a bunch of computer plebs now. We think Skype is a good idea. <laughs> Anyways, how's your life? A pretty... Uh, <clears throat> You know, barely hanging on. Feel like I got uh, front row seats to the apocalypse. Ooh, yes, it's been <laughs> quite the month so far. My my dog is taking a couple of chunks out of my hand, and uh, now I'm doing great. <laughs> that's good to know. I, I'm smiling through the pain. That's way better than uh, last week's boring. Yeah, so life is never of- boring barely hanging on man i've been having some massive neck problems lately i've got like i basically have podcaster's neck right now i can't really do a whole (laughs) lot of physical activity i'm like going to the wind tunnel and working a couple days and then i'm pretty much just like down for the count i can't really do anything because i've got these herniated discs in my neck and they're pinching nerves i'm having to do like at home traction and stuff. It's been pretty rough. I'm sorry to hear that. Well, thanks, man. That makes my neck feel better. Listeners, if you have any suggestions on how to get Josh to stop complaining on the show, (laughs) please write to us. (laughs) Dear Content Clearinghouse, please get Josh a new neck. (laughs) Have you tried a chiropractor? That's what I was going to say. Have you tried not being a bitch? Have you tried taking a Ladville? Uh, yeah, every day, buddy. Ugh. So, anyways, how's uh, how are <laughs> things, man? What do you got for off top today? I got something really good. Um, this, you know, maybe you'll be able to relate to this because, um, like the people that study this subject matter, they're probably seated in their basement all day, like. You are and podcaster's uh, neck. Also, big feet are involved. Oh well, that's yeah, that's me. Uh, how big are your feet? Size twelve. Size twelve. What is that in like inches? Uh, Any idea? Man, <laughs> is that a foot, foot long? Got to be at least a foot. Yeah, it's at least one, one full long. human foot. Okay. Well, today uh, for the off top, I want to talk about Bigfoot. Uh, <laughs> All right. <laughs> 
<laughs> the perfect segue. It is. Uh, this is actually a subject that I have wanted to talk about for weeks. Um, strangely enough, it is not something like UFOs, UAPs that I think about all the time, but it is something that has been sort of awakened within me since I started taking the UFO subject matter a little bit more seriously. And that was around the time, uh, about a year and a half, two years ago, um, not only was there the New York Times story, but I also read the George Knapp book. Uh, he's, you know, one of the one of the big names in all this. He's a journalist, and it was also uh, kind of co-written by a PhD, uh, Colm Kelleher. And the book is the Hunt for the Skinwalker. It's all about Skinwalker Ranch out in Utah. And <clears throat> the interesting thing about this book, I think, for those that haven't read it, is you know you you think you know what you're getting yourself into but you're you're really not you don't really know what's going on this is like a conglomeration of all of the strangest paranormal happenings and this is like one of the most credible uh, I, I don't want to say accounts it was more like a four-year uh, collection of accounts from farmers to scientists uh, I mean, very, very credible witnesses seeing things over and over and over, but they weren't just orbs and, uh, you know, metallic spacecraft that silently hovered and then zoomed away around the mountain. There also were invisible creatures and strange, strong odors and cattle mutilation. And so, you know, when you look back at these kind of happenings, I guess you could call them, uh, it seems like they're connected a little bit. And I know it's a you know it's a little bit of a stretch uh, to go from UFOs into Bigfoots, but I'm hoping that in the next couple of months, maybe years, maybe some more information will come out that makes this that kind of brings some credibility to uh, the Bigfoot phenomenon as well, because I don't think it's totally out of the realm of possibilities. Like we, you know, I, I thought UFOs were crazy not that long ago. And then it, all it takes is some Navy footage to kind of bring some light to it and, and make it credible. And so all we need is like something with big, yeah, big <laughs> feet, Lieutenant Fravor, Bigfoot sighting. <laughs> exactly. We need to get the, uh, the CIA Bigfoot file dump. <laughs> hey, you should submit a FOIA request to the CIA to get all of their Bigfoot information. That sounds exactly like something uh, that would give me some podcast neck. So I think I'm going to pass on that. <laughs> so with that, with that long-winded intro, the things that I'm going to share, so I'm going to share this in the uh, show notes. There's a couple of films. Um, one of them is kind of an analysis of the Bigfoot film. So you're probably familiar with this. I'm sure our listeners, I mean, this has like been in the zeitgeist of American history. And I mean, it's probably like a, a globally known uh, video clip, but it is the Patterson-Gimlin Bigfoot film. It's sometimes shortened to PGF. Are you familiar with this? Of course. Yeah. I've spent yeah. a little bit of time in the zeitgeist. Yeah, I I'm bet you have. I'm a little bit of a contentologist <laughs> myself, so I do run across things from time to time. Well, this was filmed in uh, 1967. It was in Northern California. Um, like I said, it's by far the most famous footage or alleged footage of Bigfoot. Um, there have been serious attempts to both 
debunk it and authenticate it. And I don't think that there's any like, um, there's no consensus on this. Uh, I would recommend for people that are kind of curious about it, if they want to go down the rabbit hole for just a few minutes, just Wikipedia. I'll, I'll link to the show notes as well. But just the Wikipedia has some of the uh, kind of the, you know, the, the different cases either in support of it being a hoax or it being authentic. Now, on the hoax side of things, the, the kind of good news about this is like this was long before the time of CG. Like there was no special effects involved in this. It's either a human being in a ape costume in a suit or it's real. Like those are those are the only two possibilities. And so I do think that you have some expertise out there that, you know, have like thrown their weight of uh, knowledge at this like really, really uh, convincing video. Like it definitely to me, I like I feel like I could be convinced either way. Um, I've heard I've heard a little bit about this. And one of the interesting theories about the suit, if it is a hoax, was um, they were talking about how back in the olden days before our time with like movie special effects and monster suits, they would create, uh, you know, it'd be like an outer suit of a costume. And then underneath they'd be wearing like water bladders to simulate muscles. And that they said that that was one of the things that could have contributed towards the believability because whenever you see the Bigfoot walking in that film, you can see like under his skin kind of looks like muscles rippling and there's some kind there's like some ancillary movement outside of just, you know, if it was a fursuit laying down against the guy's arm. And so that was uh, like a, I saw something like a special effects guy talking about like, oh, yeah, that's how you would that's how you would accomplish that effect in that time with the technology they had available. But that seems like a water bladder suit would weigh like. 200 pounds or something just carrying around a bunch of water to simulate muscles yeah uh that's interesting i was not familiar with that um but should have done your homework (laughs) there's so much homework to be done on bigfoot uh so uh but speaking of the suit actually philip morris um he owns morris costumes it's a north carolina based company he claims that he made a gorilla costume, uh, the gorilla costume that was used in the Patterson film. So uh, this was in 2002, and he said that he was reluctant to expose this hoax. He didn't want to harm business. I don't know. It, the, on the flip side of that, the two people that allegedly took this authentic film, they went to their graves saying... Uh, this this was real. This was authentic. So Peter, uh, excuse me, Patterson, that is not how hoaxes usually work. I, you know, it, once that again, lends like, a credibility. I think <laughs> it does, though. Like, I think so. I mean, I yeah. would. I don't know if I'd ever. I I I wouldn't have it in me to pull a prank and keep it a secret for longer than five minutes, let alone years. Yeah, like you'd have to wonder what is the motivation because. I'm assuming they didn't get rich off of this. And, you know, if they were just people that wanted to insert the Bigfoot mythos into the zeitgeist, I mean, I suppose that could have been a motivation, but it doesn't seem very human to be like, okay, we did this amazing thing and we're never going to tell anybody about it. Well, um, 
for sure. I mean, I I 100% agree with that. Um, so just to uh, just to give you some background here, Patterson died of cancer in 1972. So that's five years after they shot this, and he maintained to the end that the creature on the film was real. His friend Gimlin always denied being involved in any part of a hoax. Um, he did avoid publicly discussing the subject. Uh, until about 2005 when he made three appearances when he began giving interviews and appearing at Bigfoot conferences. So I, this is not one of those cases where people are like, oh, they're in it for the money. Like, I I don't think that they, like, profited off of this. Um, but, I, you know, another point that you brought up was they were maybe trying to insert this into the zeitgeist. Like, the thing that is very convincing about this myth to me i mean the name bigfoot is kind of a more recent term you've probably also heard the term sasquatch or yeti this a large ape-like creature goes back to the time of the native americans both in the united states and in canada there have been numerous names uh by different different tribes and i mean they they say that this is real many many tribes to this day kind of treat this creature as like a big brother or like a, like some kind of spiritual entity. And, you know, if you really look at stuff like this with an open mind, I mean, there are UFOs in biblical art and it's easy to like poo-poo it until we have all of these like UFO sightings that are extremely credible caught on, you know, Navy camera uh, technology so why wouldn't we take the numerous stories and art of Native Americans that say like, yeah, there is there is a large like eight foot tall creature roaming around the woods. I mean, you're talking to the guy who has admitted before on this show that he had a, mon- a monster hunting uh, club <laughs> whenever he was a child. So I would love to believe. I don't know if I'm fully convinced now as an adult, like, I find aliens and UFOs easier to believe in because the universe is so vast and our planet is so contained and small. But, I mean, at the same time, if you look at, like, aerial photos of the Pacific Northwest, I mean, it is just, like, thousands of miles of nothing. So it is possible that something could potentially be hidden there. And I don't know if it's just, like, my adult cynicism that's, like, keeping me from completely buying into the possibility Bigfoot is always as I've grown older older been one that's like hard for me to to buy into these days there is there is a, a little leap I think that needs to be made I I'm I feel like if this phenomenon is real I don't think it is a flesh and blood creature uh, that's like a you know what I on the Yuval Noah Harari episode on sapiens I talked Most about all the different man. The, all the different uh, human species that roamed and shared the uh, the earth with us. And I don't think it's like a leftover because that's another one of the theories is that it might be a, a gigantopithecus. Um, so some relic of that population is like still, I, I think that this is more because it comes up with like orbs and UFOs and it will sometimes just be a footprint. And it's almost like this, 
demonic reality uh demonic being d-a-i-m-o-n-i-c like the the otherworldly the other side the other dimensional um beings but uh the so the the videos that i'm going to share is the analysis of this um uh patterson gimlin bigfoot film it is a uh, Australian by the name of Wayne Dowsant. I really like his analysis. He's a wildlife photographer. He says he's studied human and animal anatomy. I don't. I, I really don't know like how fantastic his credentials are. But he actually has a little personal story about Bigfoot sightings in Australia. I guess they call them Yowies, but they go back uh, <laughs> in time to the indigenous people of Australia. Um, and then the other video I'm going to share. This is from January of 2019. It's from Fox 13 News in Utah. And there was a Bigfoot sighting in Provo caught on film. And uh, one of the witnesses, his name is Austin Craig. He said, you can't just see something that's maybe once in a century discovery and then go do your nine to five job. You have to go look for fur or footprints or something. <laughs> so he caught something on tape. And was and probably w- fired. <laughs> Yeah, if if you don't show up for your nine to five job because you're looking for Bigfoot, I think that's a grounds for dis uh, for termination. Was this Bigfoot wearing Mormon garments? <laughs> I couldn't tell if <laughs> if the underwear was magic or not. Um, yeah, he was wearing underwear, but the ma- the magical properties are up for debate. So I it, it is definitely like far away, but uh, you know. Something was caught on film for sure. I will link to that uh, in the show notes, and then I will leave you with this fun quote because I want to. I want peace and harmony between the ufologists and the cryptozoologists. And this is a, a quote from Colm Kelleher, uh, who helped co-write the Hunt for the Skinwalker. He said. In the future, an adventurous sociologist might consider writing a paper that examines the caste system in anomalous research. The nuts and bolts UFO research people regard the psychosocial UFO researchers with disdain. UFO researchers in general regard the cryptozoologists with contempt. Cryptozoologists who embrace the possibility of a paranormal connection to Bigfoot sightings are generally viewed with derision because of the prevailing view that Sasquatch <laughs> is an undiscovered primate species, not an interdimensional playmate of alien beings. Likewise, the paranormal researchers view the UFO researchers with disdain, while the ghost hunters keep their distance from everybody else. <laughs> and all of this hostility and contempt is a vain and so far unsuccessful attempt to earn a small measure of respect and acceptance and maybe funding for mainstream science, a lofty but unlikely goal. So there you go. No so <laughs> much complicated political posturing in the fake animal world. Can you imagine if the world of contentology was <laughs> was so uh, just cutthroat, brimming with <laughs> with emotions? We need we need more than two people vying for the top slot of <laughs> known contentologists. So there you have it. I don't know. I don't know what I believe on Bigfoot, um, but you've got big feet, and there might be something else out there that has a Bigfoot too. Maybe I'm related. <laughs> um, I do have some content recommendation that is related to this. Oh, um, have you seen Willow Creek? I have not. It's a found footage film by Bobcat Goldthwait, and it's a 
it's about a Bigfoot Bigfoot hunter going to investigate the site of the Patterson Gimlin film, and it's like him and his girlfriend, and she's like, uh, I mean, I'll go along, but you're kind of crazy with your Bigfoot stuff. And then it has, I mean, it's one of the most intense found footage scenes I've ever seen. It's like this 13-minute-long uncut scene with just like this incredible sound design. It is awesome. And if you like Bigfoot stuff, even if you're not into found footage, it's still a really good recommendation. Uh, that's uh, I think that's available on Amazon right now. And also... My sister, Holly, recommended... Uh, did you know that Max Brooks wrote a Bigfoot book? Oh, this sounds familiar. I think you've told me about this before. I haven't Devolution, read it. Oh, I yeah. love Max Brooks. It, it's, still on my, uh, it's still on my list. Of, I've got so many things I have to work through. So sorry, Holly, that I've not completed the book yet. But uh, I've, I've read a good portion of the beginning of it. I mean, it's pretty much like... It's just like... World War Z as far as like the presentation and what Max Brooks does like with the, uh, you know, compilation and different points of views. It's really cool. So I would recommend that even though I have not finished it yet. Oh man, I'm definitely gonna have to check that out. Very nice. So you're not sure if you believe in Bigfoot. I'm, uh, I'm probably down towards the low end of the scale, but, um, you know, if a Bigfoot jumped out in front of me while I was driving, I definitely would believe in it. (laughs) <laughs> because I'm not one to argue uh, in the face of concrete facts. So as soon as I see some real proof in my own eyes, I am right there on board with you, Brett. Well, it just goes to show we're both on the spectrum. <laughs> the Bigfoot spectrum. <laughs> Speaking of uh, on things, what's on your content circuit? I have just been watching all of the Flight of the Concords. Uh, oh, nice. <laughs> I, you sold yourself on content. I did. I did. It's even better than I remember. It's so good. Oh, man. Uh, There's too many good things, Brett. Stop recommending great things. I'm trying to catch up still. Can't help it. I I do actually, though, um, have a recommendation from a friend slash fan. His name is Lee. We actually have flown together, and uh, he's been doing a lot of action sports. So I think this is the perfect podcast for him. Uh, Whenever I see him on Instagram, he's always... Um, speed flying or skydiving, skydiving in California, speed flying or paragliding in Hong Kong. Pretty adventurous dude. Nice. So he asked on Instagram if we have read the Three Body Problem Trilogy. I have not. I've had it recommended to me before, but again, I've just never gotten to it. Okay, well, let's add it to the list. All right. I have heard it's Hard like sci-fi. one of the best sci-fi books ever written. I think it's... um. I think it's translated from Chinese if I'm yeah, yep. If I have my facts straight and it, apparently that's like that's given it a, a much broader reach in the world than yeah, uh, it, in and a it's typical book. Definitely. It, it's something to do with orbital mechanics. I like read mm-hmm. a little quick synopsis and uh, another book that kind of came into my view recently, uh, Dragon's Egg Never heard of that. Okay. That's another one that I want to add to the list. And all sci-fi and uh, too many books, not enough time. That's our main motto here. (laughs) Put it on our business cards. So how about you? What's on your circuit? I watched, oh man, such a great movie last night. Um, Greenland, which is, it's like an apocalypse film. It's a recent release. Uh, I'm not sure even where to stream it yet. I've got a few connections that I'm streaming it through, but, um, 
the uh, it's about a comet that's headed towards Earth, and it, it's kind of like the you know the people think that it's going to be a near miss, and it ends up breaking up in the atmosphere, and all of these just like random pieces of various sized rocks start hitting the planet, and they're you know it's like kind of the the main problem that everyone's like trying to escape is they say there's a, an earth killer in this um in this group of rocks and so i mean it has the most amazing apocalypse effects i've ever seen there's impacts where the comet like streaks in through the atmosphere and then it hits the earth and it like instantly penetrates into the magma and then you know just for hundreds of miles around the impact zone like boom lifts up and then characters that are like a whole state away get hit with the shockwave it's it is so awesome and it seems you know like the, the way that they react to problems and just like they're all kind of like every men and their their response to trying to survive all this seems very realistic there's no like armageddon animal cracker on the belly heartfelt moments it's all just very <laughs> real it's really good Wait, and uh, was, was that an armageddon reference yeah that's indeed was. Tyler. Glad you're putting your contentology degree to work. <laughs> but something that uh, this is kind of in reference to the Lost Fleet that we talked uh, talked about a few weeks ago. In that book, they talk about orbital bombardments. So they'll drop these rocks from uh, from orbit into the planet's atmosphere, and it's basically just there's no explosive on it, it's just a kinetic force and when it hits it it makes like these kind of explosions that i just told you about and i've never seen anything that really visualized like what an orbital bombardment would be like and then i watched this and i'm like oh my god i can see now why in the lost fleet when they talk about how orbital bombardment is like the ultimate when it comes to like weapons of mass destruction you see this you know in greenland you get to see exactly what that would be like and it is horrifying wow that sounds really awesome i'm gonna have to check that out don't uh, don't give the space force any ideas, but I'm sure they've already <laughs> figured out gravity exists. So yeah, I'm <laughs> not sure how many of them are listening to us, anyways. I mean, that's dropping things from space is just like how uh, planets are formed and craters and moons, and I mean, it's it's like the uh, ultimate just destructive force. I feel like, or I guess the like a planetary erosion force i don't know anything about this <laughs> you sound like a real dingus right now but what i'm saying what i think is when the apocalypse comes from orbital bombardment they're probably going to if anyone blame jack campbell aka john g henry instead of blaming us the content clearinghouse i, I don't that's think true. you're gonna get that yeah. idea from us yeah <laughs> that's a good point all right well uh let's take a quick break and then when we get back uh, let's get into some content. Ooh, content. Hello, listeners. Don't hit the skip forward button just yet. This is not an ad. This is a call for you guys and gals to get involved with the show. So we want to hear from you about your favorite pieces of content and why they're the best. Or you can even tell us if you've checked out a piece of content because we recommended it and uh, if you loved it or not. So contact us at contentclearinghouse at gmail.com or on Instagram or Facebook at The Content Clearinghouse. And we will read your letters on the air right here. Thanks so much for listening. We love you guys. Okay, back to the show. Ooh, content. Clear 
All right, we are back to the content clearinghouse. Josh, I can't wait to hear what your big feet have walked in, <laughs> walked into the show today. <laughs> Whew, really pushing that segue. You don't have to segue so hard after a break, you know. <laughs> oh, okay. You can ease off. Uh, well, Brett, you inspired me. Um, a few short months ago, I thought, Reality TV was everything that was wrong with broadcast <laughs> entertainment and content in general. But since you talked about dating around, I've started to see the enjoyment and the art that goes into creating some truly entertaining or entertaining reality competition shows. So I've mentioned it before and I've discussed a little bit uh, my newfound love for Forged in Fire on here. Oh, yeah. And that show lays out a very specific style of timed competition and what I love about it is how much I've learned as far as like the terms and the techniques and the theory and things that go into forging. But it also kind of opened my eye to the entertaining aspects of following these competitors' lives. And, you know, they talk about their hopes and dreams and the emotion that goes into the, you know, this unscripted competition on these shows. And you know that I have been a fierce competitor in skydiving for the last decade. You know, first in the wind tunnel with uh, our good friend Mike Silva, and then uh, more recently on a skydiving team for five years with a couple of world-class competitors, Rusty and Mickey. So I'm very interested in the strategy and the discipline that goes into being a good competitor. Now, you, you would think that I would be talking at length about Forge and Fire, and I'm sure I could because it's great and everyone should watch it. But in the spirit of competition and pushing my own abilities, I decided to talk about something you would have never seen coming something that is so against type that people might think that they've tuned in into the wrong show when they check this week's title. So uh, we might need to do a little bit of a uh, sneaky titling here, but I'm talking about a show that three weeks ago, if you told me would be something that I'd be covering on here, I would have told you to get your brain checked, which is why it's going to be so interesting for me to sell you on this idea. So the show that I'm going to discuss is, Please America's Next Top Please Model. What? <laughs> America's <laughs> yes. Next Top Model? You would have never seen that coming. Dude, I I know you're complaining about your neck. I think you need to get your head checked, bro. <laughs> I mean Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna sell you on this, Brett. Is it's this really the one good. with uh is it Tyra Banks? Yes. Is that her name? And just like Tyra Banks's style in America's Next Top Model. I really built up the uh, I really built up the drama for that reveal. And Tyra Banks is a master of the dramatic reveal, which when you start watching America's Next Top Model and you get addicted the same way I did, <laughs> you will come to appreciate her dramatic timing. Okay, let me now, ask. Let me ask. All so right. is this is this the kind of show where you wanted to look at some pretty ladies, but you wanted to keep it PG. And then you like, uh, or is this something like your wife likes to watch? And then you started watching. Cause that, that's how the bachelor was for me is like, I just wanted to like be a part of the, this like cultural phenomenon. And I like my wife and her mom watched the bachelor and the bachelorette. And then I kind of made this like, 
you know, uh, fun competition of it where we'd make our picks at the beginning. So I, I kind of got sucked into it and then found my own enjoyment of it. But I, I'm, I'm curious to hear the origin story for your ANTM love. Well, I did not pick this on my own. You are right about uh, it being exposed in some other way that was not of my doing. Uh, my wife Melissa was watching it, and it, it you know it, it was popping up on Netflix, and I was just like, pass, pass, trash, trash. And then she was watching it, and then eventually, like you know, I just kind of sat down and I was paying attention more than I normally would be, and it just started to grow on me for all of the reasons that I'm going to tell you in this content piece today. Bro. Okay, all right. <laughs> now at first or second, or even fifth glance, this would appear to be just classic reality TV trash. But not only is it not trash, it's actually highly engaging. It's very emotionally driven. It's extremely informative about a world that I did not know I was even interested in. So America's Next Top Model is an American reality television series and an interactive competition in which a number of aspiring models compete for the title of America's Next Top Model and a chance to begin their career in the modeling industry. And when they win, and they say this on every episode, they win a modeling contract with Next Model Management, a spread in Nylon Magazine, and a $100,000 campaign with guests. And I can see by the look on your face that you <laughs> are very impressed with those gifts. Uh, no, but, I mean, it's, that would be, honestly, if I was beautiful, I would love to model. Well, I'm we'll sure get there's into a lot. your beauty later, Brett. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot more to it than that, but that yes, is the, that's why it's that's so interesting. The prerequisite, though, yeah. yeah, like you have to start from a place of beauty. Actually, you know what's interesting about that is there are some people, and I've learned this about high fashion, is that there is like kind of a standard high fashion look, but there's also this look that is classically unattractive, but there, you know, there are things like their people's eyes are too far apart. They have like a diastema or they have, you know, a weird shaped mouth, but certain people are able to like use those traits to take really good pictures and to like make themselves appear attractive. Even though like some of the models on the show, you look at them, you're like, mm, I don't see it. But then their <laughs> photos come out and you're like, oh my God, this is, I mean, this person is like working some sort of magic. Interesting. So this show was created by international supermodel and Victoria's Secret star Tyra Banks in 2003. And Tyra, along with a panel of judges that have included runway coaches, male models, social media experts, and fashion PR mavens, encourage and torture these contestants through this, this grueling process of elimination until only one remains and is crowned the top model. So the show has been going for 27 seasons, or they call them cycles. Wow. So 27 cycles. cycles. And it seems like they run some some years, one or two cycles. It, it's definitely not, you know, it's it's not 26 years of, of uh, playtime. So they're doing multiple cycles per year. But with that kind of longevity and pedigree, you might say that it's the, uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia of trash TV. <laughs> So, you know, I, I I don't know anything about this show, but I, I feel like I've seen a couple of like, I don't know, cl uh, you know, cl clips of just dramatic moments on YouTube. And s something that sticks out into my mind right now is Tyra Banks seems like 
a whole package of just like beauty, brains, charisma. Like just because I'm surprised you brought this content piece uh, to the show, I am not surprised at all that somebody like Tyra Banks is just as talented and intelligent as she appears. Like that's somebody yes. that knows how to, um, I don't know, manage people and be creative and be engaging. I mean, she's she is definitely more than just a pretty face. Like she seems super competent and just incredible. Yes, and uh, I mean, this show will make you love Tyra Banks. She's just so awesome, and we'll get into all of her amazing qualities in just a bit. But cool. uh, you are definitely correct. Like she is, she doesn't seem like a fake person that is just like coasting off of her beauty. You know, she there's a lot to her, and she seems like the kind of person when you watch the show, you're like, man, I want to know Tyra Banks. Why am I not beautiful enough to know Tyra Banks? <laughs> So most uh, most reality TV shows like The Voice or American Idol, they make like this big show of launching these contestants' careers. But in the end, really like most of them just kind of fade into obscurity. When you look up like people that have become famous off of American Idol, it's like Kelly Clarkson and then nobody. You know, it's just it it, it doesn't seem to be that big of a launch for the people that win. But America's Next Top Model has launched too many careers to even count. And I found a Fimstella.com article, you know, your favorite Fimstella.com. It's an article (laughs) titled, America's Next Top Model Has Churned Out More Success Stories Than You Can Even Count. So the contestants from the show have gone on to appear in the pages of Vogue, Cosmo, Glamour, Elle, Complex. Uh, They've walked on the runway uh, for Alexander McQueen, Steve Madden, Guess, Prada, Carolina Herrera and Mark Jacobs. They've landed campaigns for Nine West, Gap, Calvin Klein, American Apparel, and Nike. You know, all of your favorite brands, Brett. All of your uh, favorite uh, makeup and weird fashion runway <laughs> clothing producers. I mean, I'm familiar with Nike. <laughs> oh, yeah. I just bought some custom Nike shoes. Plug Nike. Yep. And there was this guy named Gap that did a lot of the Bigfoot research I talked about. <laughs> That's See, just his nickname, though. There are connections <laughs> all over the place. So it also it also launched a second career for Tyra Banks, who was 30, year, 30 years old when the show launched. And if you know anything about the modeling world, you'll know that 30 is apparently an old hag. You're best taken out behind the nearest convention center and shot than uh, oh be allowed to walk down another runway. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, all those gross, horrid 30-year-olds. But over you hit the, 32, and your only uh, modeling opportunity is to dress up in a gorilla suit and act in a in a film. And never tell a anyone. Hoax film. <laughs> so not much of an opportunity, really. <laughs> so over the last 18 years, Tyra has launched her own cosmetic brand. Uh, she earned a, a business certificate from Harvard. She started guest lecturing at Stanford launched a beauty e-commerce website, wrote a novel, along with running what can be described uh, as the most confusing and unexpected choice I've ever made for a content piece to recommend to you guys. (laughs) That's the little claim to fame as always. It is. I mean, you got me. I mean, that's a hard sell. So at first I was kind of tuning out the show, you know, like uh, Melissa was watching it and I was just like, "Uh, I don't want to see this. But what really hooked me was this one competitor, a guy named uh, Mike Skokoza. So he was not a model. He was an ice cream truck guy 
that Tyra Banks discovered on the street and told him that he should try out for the show because he's so handsome. He kind of <laughs> looks like Ryan Reynolds. And I got to admit, he is so handsome, Brett. But uh, what was interesting I see a picture of him. is that he – say that again? I, w- I want to see a picture of him. Oh, yeah. Look, Look him up. up. Mike, Mike Skakoza, is that him? Yep. S-C-O-C-O-Z-Z-A. I'll I'll so be he, the uh, I'll be the di- I'll be the judge of if he's handsome or not. Ooh, this is the live model judging <laughs> on air by Brett's highly trained eye. Um, so yeah, he does look know. like I'd, Ryan Reynolds. I'd buy ice cream from him. Exactly. Looks <laughs> like he has, he's got a little bit of a sweet tooth to him. <laughs> so he knew nothing about modeling, and he's bumbling his way through all these challenges, and. You know, like him walking on the runway and posing properly and just him struggling with all of it kind of gave me a glimpse into how hard what they're doing actually is. And at first, his his uh, runway walk, it's so bad. He gets told by one of the judges, uh, Kelly Coutrone, PR Maven, that he has the worst walk she has ever seen. And she repeatedly tells him this at every subsequent review at the end of every single episode because they are so brutal. Like Kelly Coutrone, PR Maven... She's just like, you know, all these shows have like the one mean judge and she is just, you know, like no holds barred. She'll just like tear people down, like completely destroy their ego, which is always fun in reality TV. It's very interesting to watch. So, but seeing him struggle, it gave me this analog and a way to imagine how hard it would be for a normie off the street to do what they're doing. Like, I just assume that if you were super hot that you would naturally know how to look hot on camera and it would translate, but it's not like that at all. Yeah. I, I can only imagine how difficult it would be to walk better when you've been walking your whole life a certain way. And then suddenly you're, you're thinking about walking and then you're thinking about thinking about walking. And then somebody starts telling you that you're not good at walking. That sounds uh, like a nightmare actually. And, uh, Kelly Coutrone, PR Maven, lets them know that if you ever fall down, she's like, if you fell down and I had hired you, you'd be blacklisted from this industry. So there's all this like hardcore stress and mental game going in just to walking. But there, (laughs) there is like a science, it seems like, behind what they're doing. You know, it's like elongating their bodies and exposing their necks and these specific arm and leg poses and sticking their butts out, exhaling. You know, Brett, it's all the stuff that I see you doing anytime somebody's taking a picture of you. <laughs> You're very good at this. You don't realize it, but you got some you might you have something special. I, I do remember our mutual friend Derek talking about me sauntering. And <laughs> yeah. uh, I think it's just like my legs are messed up. I don't hey, I don't think I saunter, I just walk funny because my Sometimes my, hip dysplasia <laughs> translates to a real nice saunter. <laughs> Seriously, every time I stand up, both my hips crack and both my knees crack. Oh, yeah. If I've been sitting That's... down for more than 20 minutes, it's like Chinese fireworks. Go, It's Chinese New Year. Sounds like my somebody's joints. in their 30s. You know what? I take it all back. <laughs> I think your modeling career is over before it even gets started. Dang it. But what's cool about this is there are all these similarities to flying and skydiving. You know, like in those sports, like everything seems so difficult when you're beginning. There's so much multitasking and technique and specificity that goes into every move. And it takes years to learn it all. But eventually, like your internal programming and your muscle memory is so finely tuned that you can just do all the basics and 
you, you still perform specific complicated tasks, you know, on top of all of the basic flying and it all just kind of like comes together and it creates a package of where you get to the point where it starts to feel like you have superpowers. Like you can go wherever you want and you can show off or you can be like super smooth, like whatever kind of style you want to put onto your flying. And, mm. you know, it's, I love that type of performance and I can really appreciate that kind of skill, even if it isn't something that I was completely uninter- uninterested in like modeling. And it's, this is kind of like what humans do. Like we take an activity that on initial inspection appears to be completely useless and ridiculous and pretentious. And then we take that to the absolute edge of perfection. You know, there are so many things like flying or designing or creating video games, content appreciation in general and modeling apparently that have no real value to our survival, but they're all examples of humanity's ability to terraform our environment and engineer our existence to the point where we have all this free time to perfect these useless pursuits. And I think that's such an inspiring look at the human spirit because when you think about humanity as a whole outside of survival, it's all just these little pockets of eclectic skills taken to just like the absolute razor's edge. You are freaking inspiring me. I, l- I love this idea. Like, if there's any, like, point to human existence, it is this, like, burst of creativity, or it's, like, th- it's like these, uh, these like, ridiculous, per- like, perfecting just some innate, you know, ability. But I'd much rather be... Uh, I mean, I don't think, like, modeling is necessarily... Um, in the same line as like say learning to uh, yo-yo really well like i i rather be uh look extremely attractive walking and showing off some clothes than like being a really really good at yo-yoing and doing yo-yo tricks i don't know to each one their of own, them though. will get you laid <laughs> and the other one's modeling <laughs> exactly so speaking of how great humanity is like we said, like this show made me realize how awesome Tyra Banks is. Like she's, she is like one of the best parts of the show. She's super upbeat. She's eternally positive, but in this genuine way that doesn't ever feel fake. Even when she's criticizing the contestants performance, she always makes it a learning experience for them. So I was looking into her background and she started modeling at 14, which is kind of weird. I don't think I'd let my daughter be a model at 14, but, uh, she, she basically just like, worked her way up to becoming a Victoria's Secret model in 1997. And by 2000, she was one of the top earning models in the world. And, you know, we spoke about her being intelligent. Like her parents are, one of them is a computer consultant. The other is a photographer. And they both worked for NASA at one point. Um, She got her, her degree at Harvard. And she's, you know, she's not only one of the most beautiful women on the planet, but also it appears to be a total genius and she's basically everything a normal person would fear when it comes to a very competitive industry. And with all that, she still seems to be like the most approachable person on the show. The contestants talk about her like she's their friend. And it really seems like she is like, she loves the people on the show and she wants to see them succeed. When, when people let her down, you know, people that like, she handpicks everyone for the show. So when they let her down, you know, she, it's like kind of like a parent. 
she's not mad at them. She's, she's disappointed and she lets them know like, these are the ways that you can still keep getting better, even if you're off the show. And you know, that's evident by how many careers the show has launched. It's really refreshing to see a celebrity like that. That seems so down to earth. Now, can she yo-yo? <sighs> Got to get laid somehow. <laughs> <laughs> so I started on cycle 20. This was the one that popped up on Netflix. And uh, this is the first cycle that included men. So the show format, uh, they have a selection process, which is like the first episode. And then once all the models are picked, they st- every show has a challenge a photo shoot. There's a social media score that's kind of based on them uh, promoting themselves online and the audience is interacting. And then at the end, there's the, there is the, the final like elimination of someone and then the show moves on. So if I, if I had just watched the selection episode, the first episode, I would not have been interested at all. It's, you know, the first episode is just everyone kind of like bragging and showing off and trying to intimidate other. It's just like kind of standard trashy TV. But once a show gets going and the real contestants are picked and they start buckling down, you get a real glimpse into these people and everything that uh, goes into making them a model and you get like a, a view of who they are as real people. So the, the thing, the moment, I know the mo- exact moment where I was like, oh man, I have to watch this, was the very first challenge in Cycle 20. They did a vertical runway. So on the side of like a 10-story building, they built a runway that was all the way down the building. And then when they got to gr- the ground, it turned and they had to walk away. So they're in this full suspension harness and they have to lean out over the edge. They have to walk down like a rappel, but make it look like they're modeling on the way down. And you could tell they're all that just like terrified. Awesome. People are sliding down on their back. Like one guy gets turned upside down. And also, like, like, right as like they a, start. This is a Mission Impossible stunt. Yes. That's amazing. I had no idea. But as soon as they start, <laughs> it starts raining. And it's like there's thunder and lightning. And they're all just, like, freaking out. And then they get to the bottom. They unclip. And then they have to do, like, their runway walk. So it was so awesome to see that, you know, like, right the very first thing they do is, like, we're going to freak you guys out. Because what they're trying to instill in these people is, like, I guess the modeling industry is just totally crazy and you never know like what it's going to be when you show up so that seems like you know it might be pushing the concept of like what some of the runway walks are but it's really it's not outside of the realm of possibility that could something something that could actually happen to you on a shoot wow that is really cool are there any more like action uh kind of adventurous stunts like that uh so in another season they had another suspension thing where they had to walk. It was like a, they were like 30 feet off the ground on these shipping containers in a harness, and they had to walk. And then as they went out over the edge, they had to continue walking while the harness system pulled them along. But they had to make it look like they were walking on air, basically. Oh, that's cool. And they finish on the other end walking onto another container. But they've done that's, a challenge. This is, this is awesome. Yeah. It's really cool. They did a challenge where they were doing a photo shoot, and the the photographers are throwing paint buckets in their face and they have to like hold a perfect pose. They can't blink. And then they have to get get, like a a photo taken. They hung upside down with all these bats. They had to go shopping in these high end stores in their underwear, like on the, some LA strip and they had to like buy an outfit, but they're all just like, you know, mostly nude. It's really cool. 
Wow. And so they do that. I Did tried that once. A, uh, I got kicked out. Well, Brett, you know, if <laughs> maybe if you weren't in your 30s, <laughs> they do a uh, – so they do their challenge. They get a challenge score. Then they do their photo where, uh, you know, during the uh, – the elimination phase, they break down each person's best photo of the week from their various photo shoots. And then they go into the, uh, the social media score and they aggregate all these things together. And then each week, you know, one person's eliminated, but because of this format, no one can coast like one bad week can send even the best competitor home. So you could have one bad photo. Like you just didn't quite nail the challenge and it could be, you could have been the leader for, eight weeks straight and they're just like bam you're out of here so i like that style of competition it requires you to be on point and on fleek consistently like you can never let your guard down which is really interesting on fleek now that's a skydiving term right you know it i think it's more um, about how good your eyebrows look oh (laughs) i was gonna say that's like i don't know much about uh beautifying but that's one part of my physical appearance that I've always been self-conscious about and had to figure out how to take care of. Because if I didn't do anything, my eyebrows would meet in the middle. You had Bigfoot eyebrows. <laughs> I would. And, but you know what? Maybe Tyra, maybe she needs, uh, she has some like Neanderthal-style clothes that need uh, modeling. I am like 4% Neanderthal, so. Well, they, uh, I mean, pff, aren't we it's all? It's not my fault. <laughs> well, apparently I am a one twelfth Bigfoot, just my feet. <laughs> just your, that's how just much the ankle uh, down. <laughs> that's how much of my body mass they take up. So they're given a score, one to ten, uh-huh. by each of the judges for all these challenges. Tally them all up, boom. And then the show is the last man standing or last woman standing is America's next top model. And when they get eliminated, it's so brutal. It's I mean, they make people cry in every episode. But I started caring about all the contestants and I started like researching, you know, what happened to this person after they were eliminated. And that's where I started finding all these success stories. And, you know, there along with the success though, I did find this, uh, this is such a crazy story. It's like a, uh, it's a total tragedy. There was one contestant named, uh, Mariana Puar. She was a Serbian, uh, Serbian girl. So she competed in cycle 21 and, and that was 2014. And in 2015, like less than a year after the show, she was a victim of a triple homicide with her and her boyfriend and her roommate. Oh, my God. So she was shot while she was opening her front door. And uh, the shooter, uh, Manuel Jesus Rangel, he said the shooting was drug-related and it was reported as if he was trying to rob them. But later it came out that uh, one of the victims had purchased a vehicle in cash from the shooter's father who was a car dealer and seeing all that cash led him to believe that they would have large amounts of cash on hand. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. So it was like a total, just like wrong place, wrong time, wrong scenario type of story. Like, you know, it was reported as if it was a, you know, a drug deal gone bad or something. But when the, when the police inspected their home, they found some nine miller in, nine millimeter ammunition. They found two knives and a little bit of marijuana. So not exactly a drug den, you know, but it was an extremely tragic story that I was not expecting. Cause you look at the people on the show and they're all beautiful and young and you're just like, Oh, it's so vibrant and like, Oh man, I wish I'd been that beautiful. I could have had a future. 
and you see a story like this and it's just yeah it's just like a real eye-opener about some of the darker sides of humanity wow oh that's pretty wild yeah but getting back to the fun of the show um kelly cutrone pr maven she (laughs) she's she's just like you know like i said earlier she's like the roughest on everyone like she she bags so hard on people's walks and their facial expressions, not understanding their angles. But then you have Tyra, on the other hand, who gives this very specific debrief of things that she likes and things that need work. Like, for instance, if I was going to give you a debrief, Brett, I would say, I see a man before me, a beautiful man, five o'clock shadow, deep piercing gaze, <laughs> weatherman haircut. But you don't know what to do with all these good looks. You spend this entire show with your face obscured behind a bulbous microphone. (laughs) But none of that really matters since this is audio format, Brett. I give you a six. (laughs) Well, thanks. (laughs) You're welcome. You got a little bit of work. I didn't want you to get a big head. I'll 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 take I'll take my six. (laughs) Not bad for a thirty year old. (laughs) So the uh the funny thing is when you're watching the show, you can't help but like try to follow Tyra's advice. It's like this real crash, crash course <laughs> really? in like taking better photos. Like you like find yourself like, I should be extending my neck more. when so- <laughs> I should be pushing my chin forward when they take photos of me. And then, you know, I just think about all the life skills I'm gaining, like how useful all of this will be once the apocalypse hits. You know, that's... Uh, it might be the, the difference between life and death one day, how good of a photo I can take. So this might be a stupid question, but uh, is there is there like a – have you had like a, a Kelly Kutron PR Maven <laughs> skydiving Ooh, coach nice. in your life, or have you had a Tyra Banks? Like wh- what kind of coaching have you had in – is there something in this show that that like speaks to you or those styles of um not education but like feedback you know what i think that the closest to a kelly kutron pr maven moment was uh and you could probably attest to this is when we went through our fitp flight instructor training program to work at the wind tunnel where it's just um completely hardcore there's no no punches pulled like, I don't know about you, but when I was being trained to be a wind tunnel instructor by our good friend Rusty, who's been on the show, I was like, man, I'm pretty sure that Rusty hates me. I got to be the worst person he's ever seen. And then and J- Josh, your, your neck used to be perfect, actually. I know. It was so, I was so good at elongating it before I went through a FITP training. It didn't hurt at all. But I, I personally, from doing skydiving and instructor coaching, I try to take maybe not quite a Tyra Banks approach, but I try to be a pretty positive. So there's, you know, I think both of those approaches work because there's no doubt that Rusty made you and I good wind tunnel instructors. You know, there's a, there's a system in place there and it was kind of like a wind tunnel boot camp. Yeah, definitely. Interesting. I always, I just wonder if like, you know what that, that like hardcore Simon Cowell, you know, kick them while they're down approach. Like I, I'm uh, practicing this Dan Harris um, kind of a new year challenge, and it's 
it's a meditation challenge. He has the app 10% Happier. And his whole thing for January is practicing self-compassion. Being okay with your unibrow, essentially. Accepting, accepting <laughs> the way that you um, are as, and that being a catapult for self-growth. So it's not, you know, a lot of people, there's like a misconception with self-compassion that, you know, you won't be um, pushing yourself into greatness if you're like too easy on yourself. And the scientific research is showing that that is not the case, that when we are able to show ourselves a little bit of self-love, we actually procrastinate less. We are more likely to achieve our goals. It's uh, much more sustainable than using, you know, self-loathing and um, just being really hard on yourself. So when I, I, I don't know, I just like, it, it makes for a good TV personality, but I've tended to respond in the past a little bit better to coaches that, uh, you know, maybe weren't so... Uh, Kelly Cutroni, PR Maven. <laughs> I do agree, but I think that there is a there's a line you need to walk. Um, I mean, obviously, as a student, being hard on yourself, I th- I think it's a self defeating uh, mentality. It's I think when you're learning something, you should acknowledge like, okay, I understand I did that wrong, but my main objective here is to get better and to get better. You kind of have to put those failures behind yourself or to think about them like every failure as an opportunity to get better. Like it's just, it's shining a light on something you need to work on. So uh, from the coaching side though, I think that, you know, there's, there is value in both techniques and both approaches you know one of them is more of like a militaristic approach that's like the hard ass yeah the boot camp basically and then there's like i'm your best friend approach but i think like it's probably better to be in the middle you know you it's good to be friendly and encouraging but there are certain times where you're like okay this is the 10th time i feel like now you're not listening so now we need to buckle down you have to fix this problem before we do anything else yeah, and I th- you know, like as a student, I know when I'm learning a new skill, I'm always trying to walk down the middle and you know take take coaching and try to not get over into that military side. But it's just uh, sometimes it's just the nature. Like sometimes your brain and your body just don't communicate, and you can't quite get yourself on track. But you know that's what that's what reps are for. Just doing something over and over and over, polishing it. You've always been a real studentologist. Well, you know, it's uh, I'm just adding it to my list of ologists that I'm inventing. <laughs> Ologies. Well, I I can't wait to check this out. Do you have anything more for me? You got some more? Uh, hot so I've got tyra uh, tips. Yeah, I've got a I got a a, a test for you, buddy. Oh, so, uh, uh, oh. Tyra makes up a lot of terms, so I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> read off some terms here, and I know how much you love improv, so I'm. Even if you don't know the answer, I want you to make something up, and it better be good, Brett. Okay. All right, so these are terms that Tyra uses. The first one is uh, smize. Do you have any idea what a smize is? Yeah, it's like a <laughs> it's like a smile but a grimace. It's the Mona Lisa. It's uh, Trump when he got impeached for the second time. It's <laughs> my face when my dog takes a chunk out of my hand. 
Not even close. No? No. Shoot. It's a smile with your eyes, Brett. I mean... Oh, okay. To put it in podcasting terms, I'd say that you have a nice smoice. Uh, okay. <laughs> Smiling with my voice. Listen to that smoice. Oh, all right. All right. Here's one for you. Yeah. What's a, what's a no-neck monster? <laughs> a what? A no-neck monster. Easy. Joe Rogan. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> it's not showing your neck in photos. And I got to tell you, if you ever get selected for America's Next Top Model, you better not no neck monster because this is one time Tyra will come down on you oh. in a Kelly Coutron PR Maven type of way. Whoa. Yikes. It I like this out game. Of character. <laughs> yeah. All right. How about uh, H2T? H2T. Okay. This is. This is uh, obviously some kind of uh, acronym. I haven't heard of this in aviation. I think it's hot to trot. So it's like, hey, if you want to show up looking like you're ready to have a good time, you better come in with a little H2T in your step, a little hot to trot. You're way overthinking it, buddy. It's, <laughs> okay. just, head, it's just head to toe modeling. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. How about this one? I got two more for you. Okay. What's a tooch? Oh, are we allowed to talk about this on the air? The FCC might find us. We uh, do label our show as explicit. Okay, so uh, if you spread if you spread your butt cheeks apart, <laughs> <laughs> and you Continue. have and you have two freckles <laughs> next to your bunghole, they call that a tooch. You know what? That's better than the real answer. I'm gonna go with that. I'm not sure why uh, they actually talk just, about this in this show, though. It's very weird. It's what very Kelly Coutron PR Maven is into. Uh, just uh, for uh, completionists out there, it's uh, a, a, a tooch is when you stick your butt out in a flattering way on camera. And uh, by association, the booch is when a boy does this. Oh. So see, I, I knew see it had something to do with the, I knew it had something to do with the rear. You were so Somehow. close, Brett. All right. Last one. <laughs> Yeah. What is boom, 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 Brett? Boom, boom, boom. Those are <laughs> the lyrics to <laughs> 80% of the Black Eyed Peas <laughs> song library. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, that's the best thing you've ever said on the show. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm right about that. There's, you are right about that, but in Tyrus speak, Brett, this is Tyrus' favorite thing. It's a guy's abs, buddy. And oh, you really? You got a little bit of a boom, boom, boom on yourself, even if you are thirty. I I used to have abs, didn't we all? You know, my friend Lee, actually, the one that I mentioned before, uh, he works out a lot, and um, he kind of helped I helped me identify because he says we have the same body type. And we're at risk of becoming skinny fat. Does did Tyra teach you what skinny fat is? Uh, I think I can probably ascertain <laughs> what that means for myself. I do have two children, so I'm at constant risk of dad bod. Yeah, it's scary, man. I I can't really build muscle. I mean, I'm sure I can, but I just lack the nutrition and discipline. <laughs> You got to get but, that boom, 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 Brett. <laughs> got to get that boom, boom, boom. But the good news is, is it, when I stop eating, uh, fat just falls off me. So I can't yeah. get skinny, but pretty easily. I just can't build muscle. 
I kind of feel that way too. Like I feel like I've been blessed with like a superhuman metabolism and I'm just like fearing the day that it gives out on me. <laughs> just blow up like a like a balloon another reality you could be on that other reality tv show where they have to crane you out of your house get a podcasting body to go along <laughs> with my neck and then you could really dive into that ufo and cryptozoology research <laughs> yeah i could uh, just follow the henry zabrowski path like you and just uh <laughs> we could do it together sounds like fun all right well to wrap this thing up brett um this show, it's like what Zoolander said about life. There's more to it than just being really, really ridiculously good looking. <laughs> like this show is sport, it's competition, it's training and human emotion and humans that are better people than you want to believe that people that are this really, really ridiculous good looking could be. And this show is, I'd say it's antithetical to everything I stand for. It's not sci-fi or horror or anything that I would have ever considered cool or appealing before just recently, which was why it was so interesting for me to try to convince you that it is worth your time. So you can start, if you're interested, on Netflix. Season 20 is there. Other seasons are on Hulu. I'd say start on season 20 and work your way forward because everything before that is kind of like weird, like square TV format bullshit. But uh, thanks to Hulu, I think that was one of the you know, the best purchases we made lately consistently bringing the noise. I think it's my favorite streaming service, except for the awful interface, which doesn't make any sense. So, uh, look into this show. If you absolutely have to start on episode two of season 20 and then, uh, just give it a chance. Cause contentologist is saying it's good. There might be something to it. Well, Josh, I have to say you have truly earned the title Josh Evans content maven. Um, honestly, <laughs> yeah. the whole point of this show, I think uh, for me is to appreciate things. And part of appreciating things is to be curious. It's to have an open mind. And the fact that you would open up your mind, you would gape that mind wide open and let something like America's next top model penetrate uh, your walls of science fiction <laughs> and horror into that the tooch. to me, <laughs> right in the tooch. That to <laughs> right me, in my brain tooch. That's that's how you become a contentologist. That's why. Um, that's why we're not critics. That's why we're not snobs. Damn it, we're contentologists because the only rule is it has to be good. Um, so thanks, listeners, for joining us. This was probably the most fun that I've had recording this podcast with Josh Evans, Content Maven. Uh, don't forget, we're on Instagram. <laughs> we're on Facebook. You can find us uh, at the Content Clearinghouse. You can email us if you want to. Uh, email us your modeling pictures. Sure, contentclearinghouse at gmail.com. We'll rate and them on the air. <laughs> perfect. Six out of ten. And uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can rate the show. Uh, you can subscribe to the show. And uh, engage us on social media. And give us a high five if you see us in person. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. We love you.